0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 86 of the Burden and Command podcast. I'm your host, Earl Breon. Today's guest is Mr. Alex Yesterbineski, and he comes to us from our friends over at Interview Connections. Now, Alex is the co-founder and CEO of, Of Infotrust, a global marketing, technology, and consulting company, under Alex's leadership, Infotrust serves many of the world's most recognizable brands, including 40 plus of Fortune 500 companies. Infotrust has been recognized as one of the top places to work in the nation, per Fortune, Adage, and Inc., and has been named the best place to work in Ohio for three years by Cranes Cleveland Business. InfoTrust has also been among the Cincinnati Business Courier's best places to work twice. InfoTrust has been included on the Inc. 5000 list of the nation's fastest growing privately held companies every year since 2015. Alex is a co-author of the Amazon best-selling book, Crawl, Walk, Run, Advancing Analytics, Maturity with Google Marketing Platforms. He has also written extensively about leadership and entrepreneurship for Inc., Forbes, and Entrepreneurs' Organization. Now, this was a really great conversation that uh, Mr. Berneski and I had, uh, we talked a lot about building one of those best place to work company cultures, as you heard he's had so much success doing, uh, the value of entrepreneurship, and we even talked a little bit about gender equality uh, in the workplace and how it helps build one of those best place to work cultures. So we touch on a lot of topics. This is a great interview. I know you're going to enjoy it. So I'm going to go ahead and get out of your way and let you get right into this interview with Mister Alex Yasterbanetski. All right. Well, hello everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Burden of Command podcast. I'm your host Earl Breon, and my guest today is Alex Yasterbanetski. Alex, thank you for uh, joining us today.
1: Earl, it's a privilege. I'm really excited spending some time with you.
0: Oh, I'm, I'm really jazzed about this conversation. You know, based off of our uh, pre-show workup, I think this is going to be an outstanding episode. And, uh, you know, I don't want to leave the audience uh, uh, guessing too much. I want to start you off with that that kind of cornerstone question of the show. What does the phrase burden of command mean to you?
1: That's a, That's a great question. And, you know, the reality is, I think, a year ago, my answer probably would have been somewhat different. And the reason it's so a year ago, you know, is we, no, we just went through nine months of war, in the war, if you will, and the war is not over. I have a lot of my friends, entrepreneurs, they're still, their business is still really hurting. I have friends whose business is down to zero, and they're finding every possible way to pivot, survive and to save their team. And so I think one of the most important lessons especially that came out the last nine plus months of us as business owners uh, supporting our teams and i i'm very intentional about using the word supporting leading our teams because right now the most important thing we need to do is leaders i feel support our team through this war is to figure out what kind of leaders we want to be and what does being in command mean to us as leaders because on one hand, it's definitely a privilege to be leading a number of people, but at the same time, it's an incredible responsibility. And even more so when you have things that are completely out of your control as a leader, you have external events that are, have nothing to do with you, nothing have to do with your team, your business can be closed tomorrow just because of uh, the pandemic. And so who do, you dis- who do you choose to be as a leader? And so, it's a, it's a great question, but I cannot give you an easy answer because it's a it's a very important dichotomy of leadership. Using a quote from one of my favorite authors and thought leaders, Jocko Wilkins, that we always leaders have to figure out for ourselves: how do I fa- how do I find the balance between being a uh, uh, being a person in charge and appreciating the value that I can I can make such a big impact as a leader with the fact that ultimately I'm the one responsible for everybody, and I need to own uh, own the outcome—not just for the organization, but outcome of the fact that I have I have so many families that I'm personally responsible for.
0: No, I I love that answer, and you know. <laughs> Heck, I love all the answers I've gotten on this show so far, but I, I really do love that one because you're right. I mean, it's it's a balancing act. It's it's knowing when uh when to be able to enjoy the privilege and when able when you have to kind of uh yoke that burden that comes with it. And you know, folks, here's one of the things that I can tell you right now that I know uh and I, I hope you could hear the sincerity in Alex's voice. But how I know he means what he's saying is, and I'll let you kind of fill in the details here on it, but uh, you and, and your organization, InfoTrust, you actually participated during this uh, uh, COVID uh, crisis, this war, as you call it, which I like that uh, analogy because it has been a battle. Uh, mm-hmm. You actually participated in something called, the, was it the, the No Layoff Challenge?
1: Oh, thank you. That's a, I love talking about it, and I'll try to keep it short because this is one of my absolute – I feel really passionate about it because it's been probably the most exciting thing I got to do as an entrepreneur in the 10 years that I've been running the business. And so here's what happened. So I believe we went locked lockdown on March 16th of this year, whenever uh, the president made the announcement, and then we never came back to the office. I think it was around the 16th the 23rd of march at least in cincinnati right and um if you remember back at the time it was like we were in a state of fog like you nobody had no any idea what's going on everybody was freaking out uh we had no visibility not just into the next year the next quarter into what's going to be happening tomorrow our clients were just as freaked out as we were and uh a lot of people felt like, you know, the world is coming to an end. Oh, my God, the zombie apocalypse. So what what do we do? And really, how do we support the team through this incredible, one-of-a-kind experience? Because certainly nothing, unless I guess you've been through a real war or a similar experience, nothing prepares you for you know how to react to stuff like that. Everything is more like academic um, experience. Right. You, you learn from business schools and so on. And so, oh, uh, we were thinking, we were, you know, so many sleepless nights, we're trying to figure out what to do, me and my uh, business partner and some of our most senior leaders. And then uh, we, had a, we had a number of town halls and we were very transparent with the team, but everybody's doing that. We told the team that we're not going, that we're going to have pay cuts before we would even consider letting people go. But again, everybody's doing that. That's, it's great that I'm sure the people, the people appreciated that we were doing that, but it still did not feel like, didn't feel like we're going all in. And uh, somewhere around the time, uh, I guess my way, of, my personal way of dealing with my, with the fear and the anxiety and the uncertainty, I kind of gave myself a little promise that I, my, my children are younger. My, I have three kids or four, six and eight that uh, when the time comes for me to tell them about all the realities of what happened during this time, that I'll be able to look them in the eyes and I'll be able to tell them that there was nothing that I could have done that I didn't do for the team because I knew that this is going to be really important for me to, to, like I said, look my kids in the eyes and tell them that we did everything we could. And uh, coming from that perspective, It's really interesting how, I don't know what you call that, some people, like the laws of attraction or whatever, but I'm kind of going through this, like, I know I want to go all in, but what do we do? And I never, ever watch um, Mad Money. I don't like the guy, I forgot the name, uh, what's his name? The show host.
0: Oh, no, I know who you're talking about, the bye, bye, bye.
1: Exactly, (laughs) bye, 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 exactly. I never watched that show, but then all of a sudden, I'm on Yahoo Finance and uh, Jim Cramer. Cramer. And Jim Cramer has um, Mark Benioff, who is the CEO, co-founder of Salesforce. And Salesforce is one of the companies that I really admire because of who they are and what they stand for. And Mark Benioff is an incredible, both leader and a philanthropist. So his Mm -hmm. opinion ranks very high. my book. And so Mark talks about the fact that they announced the no layoff pledge and say, and not only Salesforce announced layoff pledge, but a number of companies in the, in the Silicon Valley followed, you know, follow their leadership, and they announced that uh, they're not going to cut any jobs, they will find a way to keep people for at least 90 days while things are getting worked out. And by the way, this was before PPP was approved. So, because it's certainly easier to do that when we have federal support. Uh, and, uh, there's, you know, there's going to be money coming in to support the jobs. It's sure. a little more difficult to do that, you know, without that, but at the same time, once I, once I heard that message, it really clicked in my head that this is, uh, this is what I want to do. We want to find a way to do the same. Even if we have to give people pay cuts, even if we have to do whatever we need to do, but uh, we're going to look at it as a creative way of managing cash flow. We'll figure something out. At the time, our revenue was down about 15%. So we were not dealing with a 100% drop in sales. You cannot pledge your way out of a 100% drop in sales. That's just, you know, unfortunately, especially if you're self-funded business, that's not going to be possible. But when you are... Uh, when you're still a healthy business that takes a 15 20 30 percent hit if you do a good job managing the business and managing your expenses and so on you can uh, afford to take a hit and using my favorite quote from rocky it's not about how hard you hit it's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward so i started citing that quote to our team every chance i got and i told them that we will find a way to take hits. And keep moving forward. And moving forward for us means two things. The number one thing is that we were going to announce a no layoff pledge until the end of June, basically the second quarter. And uh, while our number one thing is going to be to, to give the team a peace of mind, that all their jobs are safe, if we have to take a pay cut, we will take a pay cut. But we're all in this together. But the second thing I told the team is that I do not want our professional life to be all about survival, no matter how hard it is, no matter how difficult it is, there has to be something bigger than just just working for the sake of for the sake of survival. And uh, kind of part of the thought process was that I spent quite a bit of time. I have a number of coaches talking to my coaches and talk and doing research on what made companies survive, you know, 9-11 and Y2K, post Y2K recession and the, the great uh, recession of you know, 2008, 2009. And one of the things that a lot of companies have in common is the fact that they were a- able to come up with a deeper purpose. For the team that it's not just about the jobs it's not just about personal survival it's about something bigger mm-hmm. and finding a purpose for to be successful and uh, for us being a company that's very much purpose, and uh, that donates significant percentage of our profits to our foundation a way of uh, being uh of i guess executing our and looking for our higher purpose, was to pledge 25% of our profit. So not only are we are going to keep every job, but we're we're going to be so profitable. Again, at the time, we're minus 15, 20% down. But we're going to be so profitable that we're going to donate 25% of our profit to Infantrust Foundation. Our Typically, we donate 10%. So we can support those who are less fortunate than us, and so we can focus on uh, all of the things that we can do as an organization instead of, again, just focusing on survival. And while we're, we may not be in a position to, uh, to donate money right now, we're going to find every possible way to shift our focus from the fear and anxiety and all of the things we cannot control, such as sitting home and freaking out about what's going on. To how can we serve others, no matter how hard it is, because there's always going to be others who are going to who we need more help than us and so those two things first the no layoff pledge and then the focus on uh, giving and higher purpose were the two things that really made huge difference but then what was interesting we shared our no layoff pledge online on social media and I'm very involved in entrepreneurs organization I recently joined YPO uh, Chamber of Commerce and so I've been a Chamber of Commerce member and been on the board for the last 10 years. So you can say I'm like plugged into the community, small business community. And so what got really exciting is w- literally within a few weeks, a lot of my friends, their business owners, by that time, PPP was approved. So there's a little bit easier to take a no, no layoff pledge when you when the PPP after PPP got approved, but a number of people Jumped on board and joined our no layoff pledge. And so, towards the end, we're able to get 65 CEOs from all over the world, even from companies in countries that didn't get any federal assistance. Uh, and those 65 companies represented 13,000 employees worldwide mm. that participated in our no layoff pledge this year. And so to finish the story, we extended our no loyal, no layoff pledge by another three months. And so we finally closed the pledge at the end of, I think it's September. that was the that was the third quarter. Mm. And even to this day, we have not let anybody go. So uh, that's uh, that, that's the story of no layoff pledge. And one really ironic thing, was that Ed Age being the top publication in our industry. We, we once kind of this whole movement, but up a moment we reached out to Ed Age and see if they would be interested in writing the story because we, we knew there's a lot of layoffs in the advertising industry. And uh, we wanted to inspire at least privately owned business owners to join us. And Ed Age got so excited about uh, our mission, our story, they put us on the front page. The article is on the front page of uh, AdAge.com, and uh, I have a screenshot. It's really ironic. We had a banner for our story on the front page of AdAge, sitting right next to a banner saying that in April of 2020, advertising industry lost 10 percent of the headcount in U.S. Mm. So it certainly kind of gives a goosebumps just thinking about it that here right. we are, you know, a small privately owned company. Uh, doing a no way of pledge while the industry is losing 10% kind of gives you a a massive sense. Speaking of the, I guess, the privilege of being in command, massive sense of pride for the kind of things kind of impact you can make as a leader.
0: Yeah, no. And I I love that story. And, and I really appreciate you, you know, sharing all those details because you know what it reminded me of, and it's, it's interesting, you mentioned the economic downturn of 2008, um, are you familiar with a gentleman named Bob Chapman?
1: The name sounds very familiar.
0: So Bob Chapman, I've talked about him a few times here on the show. My listeners have probably heard his name, but uh, he kind of came to prominence, if you will, through association with Simon Sinek, because Simon mm-hmm. did a, a deep dive in, um, I want to say it was Leaders Eat Last. Uh, he, he really did a deep dive on Bob Chapman's company, uh, Barry Waymiller. And and they had a very similar experience to what you just did in in two thousand eight. Um, Bob tells a story. He was he was at a wedding just prior to uh, the bubble popping, and something at the wedding hit him. It, w- it, w- it was when the the father uh, of the bride was giving the bride away. He said, for some reason in that ceremony, it hit him. He goes, "That's what happens when." somebody sends their child to work for my company. No matter how old that child is, the the parents or their spouse or whoever it is, is sending them to come work for me, uh, thinking that I'm going to provide for them. I'm going to take care of them. And I have a responsibility just like uh, th- these newlyweds have to provide and take care of one another. I have that same responsibility for my employees. And he said, then the bubble hit And he goes, one of the first things that my, you know, my financial people came to me and said is we need to lay people off because, you know, that was kind of standard practice. You need to cut the bottom line. Let's cut jobs. And he said this, this epiphany happened at the right time because before then I probably would have said, sure, lay people off. He goes, no, I've got this responsibility like what you were talking about. And he challenged them to come up with a new way of cutting the amount of money they needed to cut without laying anybody off. And so they pitched furloughs and he said, the only way I'm going to do furloughs is if it's everybody from top to bottom and it's going to be rolling. No one group is going to get hit harder than the others." And what is very interesting is he goes on to tell the story. But what happened is because of that uncertainty being removed, like what you mentioned, the people who were in a better financial position to take more time off started going around to their coworkers and saying, Hey, I'll take three weeks instead of just two weeks. So you only have to take one and everybody kind of banded together mm-hmm. through that process. And so I'm curious, did, did you experience anything kind of similar to that because you look out for your people? Did it galvanize the team? Did it build a stronger culture in the organization?
1: I think absolutely. And, uh, for, we were fortunate that, uh, in q2, we were able to basically stabilize and uh, figure out how to uh, find other clients where we can find in, get short term revenue. And we did not so we did not have to actually even do pay cuts for people. Hmm. So we, we were down 15%. But uh, it was really interesting how in uh, April, May, June, a lot of sales thought leaders we're talking about like right now you do not sell, but if you never sell, if you serve your clients, some of our clients were not hurting. Some of our clients were overwhelmed with the amount of work because they had layoffs in their organizations because, or for example, for some companies that were selling, selling I don't know, uh, toilet paper or paper towels and coffee and whatever, right. your business was actually doing good. And so if you become extremely intentional, it's basically, it's like this, I know I'm not exactly answering your question, but stay with me for a second. If you remove, if you basically set a constraint that if removing, if changing payroll is out of the question, you have to get creative with your business. And, but also what's really cool is when you start telling that story to your clients, because you can imagine how our clients reacted to that. Like if you have vendors and you have a vendor. Who just laid off twenty people, including let's say a number of people on your account, because you had to cut their services? Or you have a vendor who told you that no matter what you guys are going to do to our business, we're going to stay with you. We're going to provide you with free services, even if you need for cash flow reasons you do not cannot pay us for let's say three months. But we're going to protect your account team. We're not going to lose anybody uh, from the organization. Who are you going to work with if you have a choice? You're gonna work with the organization that's gonna that's gonna take care of the people because we're all human. We want to we naturally want to support those who care. And so because we changed uh how we're serving our clients, and uh because our people, our team realized that it's critical for us to find every possible way to serve our clients. For example, we were even with our clients were getting laid off, we were giving them free training uh so they can upskill and find a new job and so all of those things and this focus on serving and rallying the whole organization and serving our clients made a huge difference that we did not very quickly we were able to turn things around and we did not have to take any radical uh, financial decisions so, I think this focus on serving our client made a huge difference uh, in terms of the impact on our culture. Because if you, I, one of the messages that we tell our team all the time is that we're only in a position to do what we do for you as an employee of Infotrust and for all the organizations that we support from our community service point of view, because of providing outstanding service to our clients and that's a big part of our culture and that certainly made a huge difference uh, At the worst time of the pandemic when a lot of organizations were losing their clients and because we were absolutely resilient and we refused to let any clients leave us even if they had to cancel projects, we would basically change the terms we would negotiate do whatever we need to do but we would work around their cash flow issues so they would not have to leave.
0: Yeah, wow. And again, I love it. And you keep using that word culture. And and you know, it's it's times like this when you really, really understand the importance of having a, a strong uh, culture in your workplace because not every organization, even if they want to, not every organization can. Respond the way you did because they just they they don't have the cultural foundation uh, to be able to generate the buy-in and the trust with their people to be able to do the things that you did. So uh, kudos to you for for seeing such a an importance uh, early on in culture because you can't just do that overnight, right? You you had to build that culture and it paid off big time when you actually kind of needed to cash in some of that culture capital.
1: Thank you. I really appreciate you saying that. You know, here's what's really interesting. Um, I didn't, I didn't know this distinction until not long ago when one of the people who I'm fortunate to be mentored by can help me understand the difference. So there's a lot of businesses where you have a business that comes with a culture. But business first, you started the business. You knew what you wanted to do and you build an amazing culture around it. You start selling shoes and you build amazing culture that becomes Zappos. But we were different when we started the business. And that's, what's really interesting. When we started the business, but Michael and I, my partner, we did not know that we were going to go into analytics business. We ended up becoming experts in analytics, and I, I'm happy to share why uh, in a few minutes. But the number one thing that we were certain, we kind of had the certainty of vision from day one is that we wanted to build the best culture. We want to build the best culture. We want to understand what that means, but we wanted to build the best culture. We want to have the best people. And uh, together with those people, we're going to figure out what it is that we want to do. Yeah. But we had this crazy intent. Kind of clarity of intent that we're going to build culture first and a lot of the things that we were doing culturally you hardly ever going to see companies with 100x resources do those kinds of things uh, even when they can afford to do it and i'll give you just one example uh, things like gender equality are extremely important for us it's just one of our core values as an organization and um We were probably at maybe 2 million in revenue at most when we implemented our uh, maternity and parental leave policy. And it's gonna be hard for you to find this kind of policy anywhere. And I would really encourage all the audience to reach out to me if you would love to get all the details because we're very proud of this policy and it's been an amazing business tool. As a matter of fact, I'm getting ready to publish an article about it on Thrive Global portal our policy is like this Uh, as long as you've been with the company for a year and then if it's not it's prorated you get three months fully paid both for mom and dad so Mm. both and then the second quarter if you will you're not expected to jump in full-time you ease into a full-time schedule and the reason for that it's really we have three kids, so I mean, I can understand. I we have that experience myself. It's really difficult to go from uh, being at home with the kids into working full time. Extremely difficult, especially with nursing and so on. And so providing the team with the opportunity to kind of remove the expectation that you're going to be working 40 hours or more in some cases. Obviously, in our business, sometimes it's a little bit more than 40 hours immediately and kind of ease into a normal work schedule makes a huge difference in your ability to balance your work and work life kind of stuff especially when you have more than one child and so it's going to it's hard to find companies that do that right now the companies that do that kind of policy no matter how big they are but that's actually an incredible business tool yeah. because when you have the whole when the whole team knows that this is how everybody's treated when, the, when you are, when you know that you're going to be out for an extended period of time, then the whole team, if you will rallies to support you in being able to unplug and take the time off. It no, it's no longer a stress, it's more of an empowerment opportunity because also you, and we have some most senior leaders in the organization take time off, take three month plus time off for new babies and uh, because people are so grateful for being able to do those kinds of things. Nobody just, you know, walks out when the baby comes without even things prepared. They start preparing well in advance. And also, even especially the most senior leaders being unplugged for this period of time, and we really have no expectation that they're gonna work, even the most senior team members. That gives the other team members an opportunity to step up right and to grow as leaders and so it's an amazing but at the time when we took this off we really didn't we didn't even think that's far ahead. but the intent was to do the right thing and the right thing seems like seemed like we want to give people time off regardless of whether it's in mom or dad or it's adopted family and the economic difference for us whether if we give somebody reduced pay or force them to go on the short-term disability versus continuing to pay them. I mean, it's, you know, it's a bit of money, but at the same time, if you think about what's better for the, for the employee, this is when you need money the most, having kids is expensive. And so cutting their pay is probably the last thing you would want to do if you're thinking about people first, wow. but when you, when you do everything you do as a company with the people first mentality that they reciprocate. This is this is Robert Cialdini, the loss of influence. They'll do it. It's absolutely amazing. The results are absolutely amazing. Because we have some people, we've had multiple children, and we've never had any issues. Not going to to this day, we've never, ever had any operational challenges with somebody uh, taking advantage of things like our parental leave or our open PTO policy and so on. And that's that, just one of the examples,
0: yeah no, that is a, an outstanding example because like you just said i I don't know of any place that that has that good of a of a uh, maternity paternity leave uh, policy, and especially the fact that you you included uh, you know the father in that I, I've you know working with uh, uh, working with people throughout my career uh, you know that that is one of the big obstacles. Uh, that I've ran into, and and, uh, you mentioned the word gender equality, and that, that is almost always synonymous with, you know, increasing benefits and opportunities for women. But the maternity, especially maternity leave, was one of those where I found that that usually means gender equality, giving the father some of those same benefits that the mother gets. And what I've ran into is a lot of fathers talking about, yeah, you know, I went in to put in for for leave when my child was born, and they're like, why? Well, it's just as important for the father to be there too. Uh, okay, maybe not just as important, but it is important exactly. for the father to be there too. Um, so I love your policy because it, you know that to me that's true gender equality because you've taken into account the whole uh, the the whole concept and not just focused on one over the other. And and in general, it's a very, you know, it's a very emotionally intelligent decision. I'll use kind of the the buzzword emotional intelligence there, because Mm -hmm. again, not many people think to that, that depth and that foresight of that return on the back end of showing the people that you care that much about them. And you just enumerated a ton of benefits there, uh, as to why every organization needs to adopt your policy. And I'll go ahead and say it right now. If you're an organization listening to this and you're looking for a policy, get in touch with Alex. He's already created one for you that works and he's proven it.
1: Uh, we're literally getting ready to push a uh, submit button on uh, Thrive Global, which is the new Ariana Huffington uh, portal, content portal on uh, leadership in the workplace and this article i'll send it to you so you can edit to show notes but i do feel and plus you see let's look at it this way from a general quality point of view when when the dad is available to support and spend time with the child that would also make it easier for mom to re-enter the workforce
0: mm-hmm. yeah and, and i don't know what your experiences are in your field but you know uh we tend to uh work with a lot of uh, you know, like law enforcement, military types, but also, f- uh, for some reason, a lot of uh, folks in scientific fields. A- and that right there, what you just mentioned, is like one of the number one reasons why we have a lot of women exiting STEM programs is because of, of the quote-unquote childbearing issue with not having policies like what you have in place.
1: So well, not only that, but uh, I'm sure you're, you and you Europe listeners heard, I think New York Times or somebody did a study that as a result of COVID and kids uh, being uh, homeschooled, I believe two or three million women in US alone had to exit the work uh, exit the workforce or change uh, their employment situation because they're perceived as the primary caregivers and it's very difficult to have kids From school, and so if the organization is not adopting, is not supporting working parents, how are you? How are you going to? I mean, just logistically, when the school district is closed, right? Right now in Cincinnati, in January post holidays, I would know that at least this week, uh, our school is closed. They're waiting. They're doing a wait and see kind of thing to see how many kids come back sick. But uh, I believe in the general, in Cincinnati Public School District, uh, I believe they had a hybrid situation in, in the first uh, semester, first two semesters of the school year where uh, basically it was two days at home and uh, two days in school, and then they were cleaning the third day. So how do you support that as an organization? when I mean, we basically, we not even be able to afford childcare, and somebody in the family has to stay home with the child. It, it makes it really difficult. It's a, I mean, there's, it's a huge problem right now. And it's, and it, unfortunately, I don't think there is enough employers and chambers of commerce and those who support special small businesses, are thinking about it because larger companies may have more flexibility, but a lot of small businesses may not have the flexibility to support working parents. And it's been extremely difficult. And unfortunately, as a result, a lot of moms had to exit the workforce or take a cop in some shape or form.
0: Yeah. Well, and you just mentioned another big thing there, the the cost of childcare. Like, uh, you know, uh, by our choice, my wife or I, uh, neither one of really kind of felt the need uh, or the desire for, for kids, but a lot of our, fam- our friends and family has. And hearing them talk about the the cost of childcare, you know, like you said, it, it's easy, you know, it's easy for um, a like you know city, state, uh, even federal level to say, hey, we're gonna stay home, we're gonna close schools, uh, but you know, if you aren't in a in a job where you can stay home, childcare is is cost prohibitive. Uh, you know, I, I have a <laughs> I have a friend who. He is a stay-at-home dad, but simply because he can't find a job making enough money to make it worth not paying or to make it worth paying childcare for. It's cheaper for him to stay home, and uh, you know. So again, kudos to you and your organization for for having that foresight on on such a policy. Uh, and and I really hope more organizations take notice and. Uh, you know, hopefully, this podcast serves to to raise some awareness uh, for your efforts. But uh, you know, you—if I ha- remember the the pre-show materials—you actually had the opportunity to speak in front of the UN on this topic, right? We did,
1: and it's, it was an absolutely amazing bucket list kind of uh, experience. I've been a member of Entrepreneurs Organization EO. For about six seven years now and uh, i started to actively participate in uh, the different subgroups that talk about uh, contribution and really what is the purpose of the business and how do we make business of more than just just writing a business i mean as you can tell i'm very passionate about this topic and so i've been fortunate to be invited to uh Group of, to join a group of about 150 entrepreneurs from all over the world. They're all we're all we were all members of EO to so have a summit right there at EO, which again was absolutely. I've never been inside UN building before, so an absolutely amazing experience where we discussed. Uh, we had a number of different initiatives. UN identified uh, 15 sustainable development goals. Around poverty, around gender equality, and so on, and we discussed what we as an organization, and EO as an organization has fourteen or fifteen thousand members worldwide. So there's quite a bit of power in that organization. What kind of things we can do as an organization, and what kind of things we would want to encourage all members or the, the organization to do, and some things are really simple. For example we decided we pledge that we're not going to buy and provide bottled water at EO meetings. It's a little thing. But at the same time, when you have a 15,000 member strong organization with a lot of global meetings, that's a lot of bottled water, right? And basically, we just decided that we're going to spend a little bit of money. And the uh, uh, membership will support that to, to, to provide event attendees with like a little uh, aluminum, you know, drink, um, what do you call this thing? And instead of providing uh, drinking water, uh, water in bottles. So that was like one of the easy to implement examples. And, but an example that I personally felt really passionate about was actually the gender equality. And um, one of the things that we came up with is the beginning of uh, a new initiative that you uh, that EO is working on right now, a gender equality certification in the organization, how organization can go through a process of ensuring that uh, everything from uh, equal pay, to equal working conditions, and so on, are put in place in the organization uh, to drive uh, gender equality. Mm. So that like, said, so that was one of the things that I personally, uh, per- like, we had different task forces. So that's the one that I participated on. As you can tell a lot of things that we do in the company are very much around uh, gender equality and diversity and inclusion in general. This is one of our core values and we go above and beyond in every possible way to support that. So but that was absolutely amazing experience. Oh, thank, well, you for, uh, thank you for giving an opportunity to kind of relive this uh, one of a once in a lifetime kind of thing.
0: Yeah, no, uh, absolutely. I can only imagine. I've never been inside the UN building either, but I can only imagine how impressive it is. And again, folks, look, here's the one thing that I'm hoping that my listeners are taking through this. It's kind of a common thread is you're making all of these huge impact decisions, but they're not that hard to implement. I mean, like the, the bottled water thing, Like that's that's not a hard thing to do, but not a lot of organizations are doing it. And I like the fact that you're, you know, if I understood, you're providing, you know, like the aluminum canteens uh, mm-hmm. reusable. Um, I actually, because uh, I like to I like to check out new and weird stuff. Right. And I was actually, they haven't settled on a name for it yet. Uh, but I don't know if you've seen these. There's these these little, they're, they're these little balls of water and like the casing is some kind of like, it's a, it's an edible algae based. And so the, it looks like almost like a little like stress ball kind of thing, but you can either just kind of like take a bite and, and sip out of it, or you can just pop the whole thing in your mouth and chew and, and eat the algae and get the water at the same time. Uh, Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. it's It's kind of neat. And you know, the thing about it is, is when more organizations are making those conscious decisions to, to care, and, and that's the common thread that I've heard through this conversation about you and your organization, is you've made a conscious decision to care uh, about your organization, your employees, and not just your employees, but your employees' families and all the people that they touch outside the four walls in their communities it's amazing what an organization can accomplish and the impact that they can have. So again, kudos to you for uh, for showing that type of leadership and and, and taking on this mantle because it's it, it, it's amazing it, it, It's really uh, an amazing conversation that we're having here that you're proving that all of these organizations can be doing what you're doing very easily. Thank
1: you. I think the most important thing for leaders to realize that culture has to start with the founder of the company, you can you do not hire HR, uh, you can hire experts to help execute and give you ideas uh, to execute culture to, to figure out exactly what culture means for you because there is no, you know, quote, unquote, formula for culture. But the core values and the culture of the organization has to start with the leader and i would encourage everybody to kind of if you will look inside and think about finding faith to do maybe a little bit more that would be right for people because the results you'll be astounded by the results but the 100x return you will get but most importantly, it's not just the economic return. And I promise you that if you if you follow people first mentality, the economic return is 100x, because people really appreciate and they want to work for a company that, that has people first mentality and everything. But also it's an emotional uh, return for you. as an entrepreneur, your first question to me was the burden, burden of uh, command, but at the same time, that's the privilege part. When you know that you, as a leader, you made a decision and here's the impact that you had that you made a decision and 13,000 people worldwide, because of some crazy idea that you had, were able to sleep at night because they had a job through the worst pandemic of the last hundred years. That's the privilege of command. That's really what it's all about. It's not just about, uh, Making money and selling your business and exiting and uh, you know retiring happily ever after.
0: <laughs> well, you you hit on something there too that I think is is very important. It's is you know that return and and even that long term return on investment because you know a lot of organizations and and I will say maybe not necessarily organizations but leaders of organizations are very concerned about their legacy and what type of legacy that they're going to leave behind. And here's me looking kind of into my, my magical crystal ball, you know, 40, 50 years in the future. Well, maybe not even that. Let's just say 20 or 30 years in the future. When the, the, the children uh, of these workers at your organization uh, are looking for places to work, Mom and Dad most likely are going to be saying, "Well, hey, come work for Infotrust." I mean, they took care of us, and and you're going to you're you're going to get more return on that investment for your maternity paternity leave policy, for the water bottle policies, for the, uh, the no layoff pledge by having this this kind of legacy of being this outstanding place to work. And people are going to be knocking your door down wanting a job, and you're going to be able to attract better talent. And, and I know these are things that you've already kind of thought about and, and know, but just want to make sure that the audience is listening because return on investment isn't always about a dollar amount. Sometimes it's about longevity and it, sometimes it's these decisions like what Alex has made that can determine whether you get to make it through a pandemic like COVID-19 or any other natural disaster uh, versus being one of the unfortunate few that, that well, maybe not unfortunate, few unfortunate businesses that go under because people want to work for an organization that takes care of them. And they want to take care of the organization that takes care of them. Anything that I just said there that you might disagree with? No, I agree
1: 100%. And I would actually uh, offer kind of this point of inclusive point of view. So let's think through... uh, you know, typical scenario of somebody who's an entrepreneur who uh, ran a business, was very successful, potentially uh, generated good cash flow, saved a lot of money, or maybe exited the business. What do people typically do when they exit the business? A lot of people create either donor-advised funds or something because they want to give back, which is awesome. It's amazing thing for people, somebody who is financially successful to be in a position later in their life To give back and uh what people do as an example they decide to write a check to children's hospital again i'm just giving you i'm exaggerating but it's or some charity or so on but the question is why do you need to wait until later in life to make this impact why do you want to support if you do not if you look at inclusive outcome why do you not think about the children of your employees as the same children who will be going to children's hospital that you will be supporting later in life when you sell your business and you're looking for a place to donate, if children is something that you really care about. And again, I'm just using a examples of, father of three kids. I'm also on the board of tonight's Children's Hospital, so that's something really important to me, but there are similar examples. But if you, so if you think about it holistically, if you think about uh, inclusive outcomes, then the question is, do you really need to wait until you, Uh, become so successful that you're in a position to make the money or do you do it now yeah and yes maybe right now your personal financial return or your result yes it's going to cost you money but at the same time i really love i've been a huge fan of tony robbins for many years and i really love his analogy that uh giving is like uh it's like a muscle you need to exercise. If you're not giving 10 cents when you have a dollar, you're not going to give a million dollars when you have 10. Right. And uh, but the, <clears throat> the impact that you'll personally feel from being able to do that now is only going to help you make your exit down the road or whatever even larger because you know that you're gonna be able to to, to do so much more. Because if you know that through your work as an entrepreneur, again, you asked me this amazing question, the burden of command. So let's look at burden of command this way. If you are leading an organization and if the organization is, uh, let's say, donating 10% of uh, EBITDA to some cause, it doesn't have to be the foundation. Infotrust has an Infotrust foundation, but the organization just wants to do something good for the society. And let's say there's something good as a society, feeding America 10 cents per meal. So if you donate $100,000 as an organization, that's that means feeding a million people. And, and uh, you take this feeding a million people and uh, you take this number back to the company and you say, who do we need to become as an organization to be able to feed 10 million next year? Would your team be more excited about growing the business that you own if you focus on 10x in your top line as the owner of the business? Or is your team going to be more excited about scaling the business that you own, assuming a privately owned business? Again, this is just an example. If you make this growth about 10xing the impact of the organization yep. and i'm willing to bet uh, anybody that a team that knows that the growth is about the impact something that they really care about will always outperform the team that's only focusing on uh, hitting the top line vanity uh metrics
0: I agree with that 100%. You know, Alex, as crazy as it's going to sound when I say this, we're sitting at about 50 minutes already, and this conversation has just kind of flown by. Um, before we look at at wrapping up, is there is there anything that we didn't get a chance to discuss that you'd like to mention?
1: I think the only thing that I would like to, and I actually, I actually just mentioned this a minute ago, but something that I would love to mention especially for the audience that are business owners is to think about why would their team be interested in helping them as the business owners grow their business what's in it for them and I would challenge everybody to think about finding a way to make growth about something bigger we actually came up with a model in our company and we finished most of our le- most of the meetings with this gift to grow thing but this gift to grow as a business strategy is extremely powerful because if you make your growth about something bigger than just growth the results will come And the results will absolutely astonish you as an entrepreneur because the results not just for you but there has to be a reason for the whole organization to grow and the reason for the we all want a purpose right as an organization why do we want to grow just so we grow like really why does it matter that we grow as a business and if you can find a way as a leader that's the privilege of uh, being in command, if you can find as a leader a way to connect growth to you really care about, because we as entrepreneurs we're very opinionated, crazy people, and we all have some passion projects, or uh, foundations, or causes that we care about. But how do we make it a, a team cares about? Because if we can connect our the business with something that every member of the team would care about. They would want the business to grow because that's going to support uh, support the organization's causes, whatever that they care about personally, and it's going to make a huge difference in their lives. So not only you're doing kind of living greater good to the society, but you're also giving people an incredible reason to make your business successful
0: I'm
1: because my... they're making the society, if you will, in their lives better by, by doing it.
0: Well, kind of just build on what you just said there. You know, we talked about you being uh, the co-author of the uh, Amazon best-selling book "Crawl, Walk, Run: Advancing Analytics Maturity with Google Marketing Platform," and you know, while that's not necessarily a culture leadership type of book, you found a way to kind of connect that back to help you support your mission of making an impact in your society, right?
1: Yes, thank you for asking that. So, yes, 100% um, of book sales are donated to the foundation. But you know what? Here is something else. So you asked me about the culture. And so I can give you another example. Again, this is why I think it's so important for us as leaders to be, to have clarity of intent about people and, uh, making sure that it's in everything that you do. We have two authors in the book, but only because they would not let us have 15 co-authors, but we have 15 contributors. Sorry, we have 15 contributors in the second edition of the book, which we're getting ready to release. We have 13 contributors in the first edition of the book because being, you know, in our field, nobody understands everything about everything. And so we had... uh, some of the most senior members of our team helped contribute to some of the chapters of the book. So we wanted to make sure that as many people in the organization, and we were actually very intentional about having as many contributors as possible. Because we wanted to recognize our team members. We wanted to give them an opportunity to to build their own little expert brand, to speak at conferences and proudly show that their name is on the cover of the book, their photo is in front of the chapter that they co-authored, and so on. Because I do think this, even little things like that, but they make a big difference in terms of giving everything you can to support your team. Love it.
0: Love it. Well, Alex, look, we're uh, sitting here kind of roughly about 55 minutes or so, and this has been an outstanding conversation. I just want to thank you very much for your time and having the conversation you've had uh, with the guests. And uh, I hope that my guests have really bought in and understand the importance of uh, culture and taking care of your people. Um, If they want to find out more about you uh, more about what your organization's all about. What's a good way for them to, uh, uh, to, to reach out and find out more info.
1: The easiest thing is for me personally, just follow me on LinkedIn. And uh, so you can just add a link to my uh, LinkedIn profile. I'm very active in social media or just follow infotrust on infotrust.com. And, uh, in addition to all the technical content we're actively like literally like right now we're in the process of adding some additional sections to our site to specifically talk about some of the uh, cultural and multicultural uh, topics and some and uh, topics that are important to us as an organization from i guess social impact point of view and so you may you may find some interesting ideas and uh, things like our uh, parental leave policy and some of the other things that we're doing as an organization. And we would absolutely love other uh, other organizations to explore implementing similar policies.
0: I love it. I love it. Well, and absolutely, I'll have uh, I'll have links to. Uh all of the the content that we've talked about here, your LinkedIn page, uh, the Thrive Global article, uh, when that goes live, uh, I'll have the links on the show notes here so people can find it very, very easy. Alex, again, thank you very much for uh, for spending uh, the last hour or so with, with me and my audience. I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation.
1: Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah.
0: And listeners, uh, take advantage of all of this good information that Alex has shared with you. Uh, put it to work. You, you can find fun, new, and inventive ways to accomplish many of the same things that Alex has. Just find what works for your organization, and the important thing is find what works and take some action. Speaking of taking action, uh, make sure that you're rating, uh, subscribing to the show, sharing the show uh, with people that you know, And uh, definitely give those uh, reviews. Those reviews help the algorithms out in all the podcast platforms and help the show grow and get the messages, like what Alex has shared with us, out uh, to the masses. If you have any comments, questions, or concerns for me, uh, you know, just uh, send it to burden.command at gmail.com. That's burden.command at gmail.com. Thank you all again for being with us and listening to the show. And I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. Miles, are you ready to record our promo for season two of the Wannabet podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that season two starts August 18th. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electricast. Electricast.